Normalize naming your children after your favorite pets. (laughs) I love this campaign. I love this for us. This is Fluffy Miller. (laughs) Just so many good names could come out of this. Anyway, what the hell was I saying? (laughs) I don't even know. It doesn't even matter. This is what happens every single time when Rachel's not here. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know why we keep getting away with this, but I don't know. It's been like 50 minutes and you've been talking (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. Okay. Shut up. It's your turn. Go. (laughs) Shut up. It's my turn. (laughs) Shut up and go. You can do both. Okay. (laughs) Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. My name is Megan. I'm a mother of two with my Montessori lower elementary certification, ages six to nine. I am joined by Laura, soon to be, we finally get to say it, soon to be mother of two with her Montessori certification in lower and upper elementary, ages six through 12. Tonight, we will not be with Rachel, our infant toddler teacher, as she is today, actually, freshly back in the classroom. It's her first day off of maternity leave, and we just wanted to give her some space and some time to recover from what I'm sure was an emotionally and physically taxing day. But we will be joined with a special guest, Bianca. But before we get into meeting her and listening to all of the awesome things that she has to share with us, let's hear about your week. Well, I will say that I can only imagine how emotional Rachel's day was because I walked past her classroom to drop my child off at a different classroom and I walked back to her door and she came to the door and as soon as she opened the door and I started to reach for a hug, we were both crying. Oh, so no. I can only imagine. I'm like, why are you crying, Laura? You're going home. <laughs> like, I don't even know why. You felt it. I did. I, I could just like feel it on yeah. her, you know? Yeah. But we have checked in since the end of the school day and she did say that all went well and the baby had a happy, great day and she's just, you know going to get back into that swing. Sending hugs and love to Rachel and anyone else out there that's listening that is also going through that end of maternity leave time, which is really, really, don't get me started on it. Don't even get me started. You know, everybody has different feelings on it. Everybody processes it differently. But I think the three of us happen to be the type of people who had a, a hard time going back, you know, but my week, my week was really, really nice. Actually, we celebrated over the last couple of days my nine-year wedding anniversary, which is stupid that it's been nine (laughs) years. Like, how is that? That's not possible. That's not right. A decade? 
shut up. Get out of here. Do you have any words of wisdom to share with us? Oh my God. Those of us who have not been married for this eternity that you have. (laughs) Don't even. Marriage advice? Why would you even, you know, I don't have a concise, (laughs) like quick (laughs) sentence. You know, I have a diatribe, like an essay right now on all the tips and tricks that I have learned in marriage. I think communication. I'm going to put communication at the very tippy top, especially if you are raising children and being really honest in that communication. Right now, the season of life that we're going through looks so different. We've only been parents for two and a half years. So that means we were married for like six and a half before we took on this journey. So we went on so many other kinds of journeys and adventures together and life just looks so different right now. But I'm really grateful for the amount of time that we put into us before this yeah. because this season is hard. It's hard on even a veteran relationship. So just communicate and be good to each other. That's all I want to say about that. That was pretty concise. Proud it's of you. not bad. We'll see. Mm-hmm. I might just cut the whole thing. You're not even going to ask me for advice. The whole thing's going to get cut. In a way, you have too much power. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Absolutely, I do. <laughs> um. Okay. Another highlight actually fell on the same day was we did our anatomy scan. And that's super exciting for two reasons. One, you get to see your baby and see that hopefully everything's going well, which in our case, thankfully it is. And uh, number two, we did not choose to know the sex of our first child until she was born and arrived and the doctor held her up and said, it's a girl, which was great, right? Which is just really selfish of you, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of people were not happy about that, including my husband. It damn near killed him. So with this pregnancy, we decided that we would find out that we would know this time and just be able to have a different kind of experience, which I was kind of looking forward to that too, because I will say, I remember you telling me when you found out that your daughter was your daughter. You said that there was something kind of cool and special about being able to connect to your baby in a new way because you would you could then say, my daughter will be here in January or she is kicking me. Just you just, I don't know. It was just a new level of connection. Yeah. It's just an extra piece of information. Yeah. You know, you know, of course I felt connected to my first baby, but it is a little bit different to be able to put a pronoun. Of course, this child will choose their own pronouns once they have arrived, but you know, the one that makes the sense to me right now. And just like, it was just, it's just a little bit different, but it's still really cool and special in its own way. And right. Obviously I haven't even gotten to the exciting part yet, which is that it is a boy. It's a boy. Which is not what we currently have. So it's kind of cool to have one of each, which is what I also kind of always hoped for. I know you were so sure that it was a girl. (laughs) I just, I know it's a girl and your little girl kept saying that she was having a sister. Like you were sure. Yeah. And I would just like to say that I was right. I said it was a boy. You called it. It's a boy. We're excited. It's a boy. <laughs> it's a boy. <laughs> We're excited. And uh, it's your turn. Go. Um, hmm. Me. My week. I don't even know. I can't even think past the last couple hours. So I'm solo parenting again right now. And I just hopped on this call after digging poop out of the drain. Mm. Yes. Out of the bathtub drain. Three times this week I've been in that position. Go on. And so it's just just juggling all of the things. I've been doing my training, which has been pretty all-consuming, like in a good way. It's been really fun. It's obviously something I very much enjoy. 
but yeah, it's just, it's a lot to do all at once and then have the kiddos on my own. And I always have this kind of high expectation that I'm going to like make dinner. Well, every meal, I'm going <laughs> to feed them and feed myself and I'm going to keep the house clean and I'm going to shower and I'm going to get work done and they're going to go to bed on time. And so far I have failed at every single one of those things. Um, but I did make it to this call. So, so big win there. And they are win. fed. They're and fed. they are clean enough to go to bed and they're in bed. So <laughs> so you actually yeah. have one all around, my friend. I need to clean up. So the room that I'm podcasting in right now and talking to you in is just a disaster. And we're going to talk to Bianca. And I was like, she can't know this. <laughs> like, I just want to be like, this, this. Isn't like how I always am. Look at there's like a bag of chips oh, right dear. there. From last night because what I had for dinner was tortilla chips and salsa and it's still there on the nightstand. Which guys, this isn't me. This isn't who I am. This also isn't your this isn't your bedroom either. This though. isn't no. Do you regularly go into the other rooms of the house to eat chips and salsa <laughs> laying down? So this room has a TV. And my bedroom does not have a TV. Oh my God, you're one of them. I am. <laughs> you're better than me. I am better than you. <laughs> I want to love that about you, except what I love more is that you're eating chips and salsa <laughs> in the bed with a TV in a different room to bypass <laughs> that really healthy, holistic choice that you made. So I can say that I am one of those people. Oh, I don't have a TV in my room. Yeah. And I just don't tell them that, oh, I just have a TV in the guest bedroom where I force feed myself tortilla chips. <laughs> it's just proof that celebrities really are just like us. I'm just like you guys. So down to earth. So I'm filthy. Relatable, you know? <laughs> um, I'm going to throw it back to the first ever episode when I believe I said, and I quote, I live in mud. Yeah. So I don't know who you're trying to impress right now, but that room looks great to me. I mean... I guess that's another thing that happened is that we switched my daughter to a toddler bed or a floor bed. Oh, yeah. That's kind of a big one. That's, that's a big one. Yeah. And so her dresser is in here. I have my chips, my salsa, and her dresser in this room that's normally not in this room. And I didn't have the time or the mental capacity to like baby proof it sure you have to like make sure that she can't like open it and crawl in and then it tips over and yep, anchor exactly. it to the wall and whatever yes i have never anchored furniture to the wall and i'm regretting that so much right now <laughs> so i just took it out and it's in here and so obviously she has been through it because she changes her clothes every 25 seconds and <laughs> that is why it looks like that well this is a very chaotic sharon yeah this is like half sharon half confessions really <laughs> All right, let's get into today's topic. Okay, today we are thrilled to introduce our guest, Bianca. Bianca is an infant development Montessori consultant, blogger for Baby Tour Guide Inc., and podcast host for the Montessori Babies podcast. She has a master's degree in Montessori education, a bachelor's in child development, and her Montessori training in assistance to infancy from the Montessori Institute of San Diego. Bianca is a new Montessori mom in the wild with her first baby now just a few months old. We are so excited to talk to you, Bianca. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> I'm really excited to have you. I just want to say, because I have listened to your podcast a little bit before we even started our own podcast. And 
I feel like you have this just joyful voice. Whenever I would put it on, it just like makes me happy. You just seem (laughs) so full of life and just full of wisdom. And so I'm really excited to have you. It feels a little bit like a fangirl moment. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. You guys are so sweet. Such an honor to be here. So I'm I'm excited to talk all things Montessori. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Obviously, we can't help ourselves. So tell us what your experience was like through your childhood, your experience with education, and basically just how you ended up in the world of Montessori. Yeah, sure. So fun fact, I actually did not attend Montessori as a child. I went to traditional schooling from preschool through higher education. Uh, But what led me to Montessori was more so my role in my family. So I am the oldest of all my siblings. And so naturally, as the older sister, I was kind of that second mom role, you know? (laughs) Um, We do know. Wait, I don't don't mean to interrupt you, but I just realized so is Megan and so is Rachel. Maybe there's like a a connection here between oldest daughter. All right. Sorry. Go on. I just, we all have that in common and I love that for us. We will interrupt you. We're interrupters. No, I I understand. (laughs) I have ADD, so I have to stop myself from naturally interrupting. (laughs) You can interrupt us too. I mean, (laughs) we will go off topic 17,000 times. And we're fine with it. Um, So yeah, so on that topic of being the older sister, that naturally transitioned into babysitter. And so then as I got older, that transitioned into babysitting jobs outside of, you know, my siblings and cousins and, and stuff like that. So I started actually babysitting. And then my senior year of high school, I became a nanny. So I would nanny a one year old boy, and he attended a Montessori. And so that was kind of my introduction and where my interest began. His mom would just rant and rave about his school and all of the incredible things that he was learning and what he would come home and do. And so that's kind of where that started. But what's funny is I entered college interested in marine bio. So I had a fierce and still do have a fierce love for the ocean. And so at the beginning of college, I was a nanny and a barista and a student and, you know, living that juggle life (laughs) until my mom thought I would love to observe at the schools that she oversaw. And she worked in development for a group of Montessori schools in Southern California. So she would kind of like help in like the actual setting up of the school. And so I did, I was able to observe at those schools and I absolutely fell in love with it. In my own childhood, I was raised with that sense of community in the house. So we all had our own responsibilities as far as how we would contribute to our home community. But beyond that, my dad was in contracting. And so we were always doing work on the house as well. And so, you know, working with our hands was very much a thing. So we were all really involved in everything. And so when I observed the children in school, I was able to observe infant through elementary. And each age level is so fiercely different and so beautiful in its own way. And I was just so blown away. And the memory that just sticks in my brain to this day about that day, though, was when I was sitting in the toddler space during their snack time. And I remember watching them pass around their basket of crackers and pour water for their friends and serve their fruit using the tongs. And I was just so astonished at how joyful and peaceful they were with that involvement. And then, of course, that 
the toddlers were doing those things, you know? Yeah. And yeah, at that point I was sold. I totally wanted to be a part of it. And so I applied to work there. I got my early childhood teaching certificate, of course, to be able to work there. And then (laughs) I started as an assistant in the infant space. And at that point, that's when I just fell in love with the infant mind and the rest is history. (laughs) I love that. I just have to say really quickly. Because her brain almost exploded. I watched it happen. (laughs) Yeah. It was so hard for me not to be like, you shut up. No way. Me too. Because I actually also truly wanted to be a marine biologist. No way. Guys, me too. Shut up. No. So I am also from California and Mm -hmm. grew up near Monterey. So I went to the Monterey Bay Aquarium with like my little notepad and like interviewed <laughs> all of the marine biologists. Oh my God. <laughs> I love that. Until I realized that I am fiercely terrified of the ocean and <laughs> like, don't want to be near it at all because like I am absolutely terrified by it. Tiny issue. Can't go to work today. <laughs> terrified of my settings. <laughs> So this this episode is going to be called A Bunch of Failed Marine Biologists. <laughs> I love it. We didn't we didn't make it big, guys. <laughs> I hope I may cut all of that and just skip right to saying that when you shared that memory about the toddler classroom and being just like blown away by seeing these tiny creatures do this and so peacefully and happily, mm-hmm. you know, you had younger sisters, you have cousins, you babysat, like you didn't see that a lot in toddlers, but that also was never expected of any toddlers you spent your time with. And it was Becky from our Montessori garden, who in her episode said that once you see a child in a true Montessori setting, it changes how you see children, right? Absolutely. Once you become aware that that's in there and that it can be harnessed so beautifully, Mm-hmm. it's hard to step away and choose any other kind of philosophy. Absolutely. Especially in toddlerhood, a lot of it's stigmatized. You know what I mean? Like the terrible twos, the three-nager. Yeah, yeah. The four-nado. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you see these children just so peacefully involved in their space. It was just, you know, incredible. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love too that you were so drawn to the young young ones because mostly in Montessori as it's becoming more popular is very much focused on that children's house primary age of three to six Mm -hmm. and a lot of attention is there and so much of it starts at birth so I think that it's really amazing I mean it takes a special type of person Mm -hmm. one we've talked about this before to work with babies and work with toddlers so bless you yes thank you (laughs) for your service (laughs) you're an angel on earth um so I wanted to kind of ask since there's people that probably are a little bit more familiar with how it looks from ages three to six and on what does Montessori education look like at birth and for babies? Yeah. So to get an idea of what Montessori looks like in infancy, what I usually suggest is taking a look at just how babies learn. And essentially infants are constantly in a state of absorption. So they're making a whopping million mental connections per second, literally absorbing everything about who they are to the world and who the world is to them. And so when we take this into consideration, we're then able to kind of see how babies are are always learning, right? They're always learning about themselves and this world that they were just born into. So every moment is a learning moment. And I know that that kind of sounds like, you know, a lot of pressure and super intense, but it can actually be really simple and peaceful if we just take, you know, a couple steps to prepare ourselves in the space and just kind of things around them and then just do our best from that preparation. 
So that's where Montessori for Babies comes in. The Montessori approach for our infants honors that natural progression of their development. So we honor that through things like their environment setup, the toys and materials we offer, through our purposeful interactions by involving them within their space, even our tiny babies, <laughs> you know, and some other steps that all work together to create this just really beautiful experience. And what I love about it, what's so incredible about it is that all of this is driven by baby. And that's a big part of what makes it so peaceful is they have this amazing innate will to learn about their world. And so when we just do a little bit of prep work around them, they end up being the ones to drive their experience because of the way their their minds naturally work. They're little scientists on a mission to learn about this new world, to acclimate and figure everything out. And one of the examples that I like to give is when you see a crawling baby go over to the cabinets and like fiercely shake the cabinets. And that's science. That's them, you know, figuring this out. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, Montessori and infancy is just a really, really wonderful way to honor each baby's unique natural progression of development and lay that peaceful, empowering foundation for those really important first years of life. I feel like what you've done, which is so helpful, we talk a lot and we've had a whole episode on this, on the preparation, the spiritual preparation of the adults. Part of that is learning kind of who you're bringing into this world and how you can better serve them because so much of new parenthood is questioning yourself. And like you said, you're like, it sounds really intense. Like every moment's a learning moment. Like, oh my gosh, I have to be doing all the things all the time. I have to buy all of the right stuff and all of the perfect shelves and the perfect mobiles and all of the most perfect things. And what I love about what you're saying, the most important part about Montessori for babies is us understanding them. Mm. And, you know, that's all, that can be also overwhelming. But like you said, it's also it can be very simple and it can kind of guide you through this new motherhood, which is I mean, you're going through it right now, which is really hard. Yeah. And having the information about this little person that you brought into the world can help you really honor what process and what journey they're going on right now. Absolutely. Yeah, I think what makes it so incredible is, well, you guys definitely know this piece as far as using observation as like such a big tool, you know, to guide everything. But it really is just kind of learning about your baby, but also yourself. Yeah. In this new role. Yeah, I feel like I struggled with observation with both of my babies because I felt just really overwhelmed by new mom life of we've talked about this in our observation episode where we talk about how you sit there and, and you want to do it because you know how important it is. But there's dishes in the sink, there's laundry to be done. You also haven't had a moment of someone not touching you for just a couple seconds. And I want to get a cup of coffee and I want to make myself food. So I think that when we honor it and how important it is, and also give ourselves grace that we can better connect you know, give yourself a moment to step away and take care of yourself. And then you can better take care of your baby. Has that been harder for you? Or do you feel like you've had so much practice that it's kind of part of you now, that observation piece? You know, I haven't done any, any sit down and, you know, formal observation where I'm like, just sitting and writing, but I am constantly doing something like pausing and waiting and watching and, you know, taking mental notes and writing stuff later. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, just from those tiny moments, I've been able to take steps each day toward myself in this role and toward understanding my baby and who 
he continues to show me who he is. You know, they grow so much so quickly. <laughs> and I love the like Montessori idea of the child revealing themselves to us every day, like who they are, what they've learned. But it took me a second to even be peaceful enough to sit in that, you know, and I know we'll get into that in a second, but I think definitely I had to focus on giving myself grace. And I think that's also part of Montessori, which is so beautiful, is letting yourself just kind of be for a sec and respecting yourself and your baby and all of it being new. And yeah, I think I can relate. I have not taken formal observation notes. However, I try to do the same thing you're talking about, which is kind of just being a little bit less reactive, like pausing, catching myself from time to time, making a mental note that this seems to be a pattern or whom she seemed to respond this way without putting my input in it right away. And that's hard to do with babies because they're not able to tell you what's going on. So it's easy to make assumptions that you just know what's going on for them or what they're thinking or that they're bored with this now or they're done. So I think in the spirit of understanding that it's really hard to observe a baby mm -hmm. if you're not formally trained, could you give us a little bit more of a rundown of what you mean by the simply prepared environment opening up to this peaceful, cooperative learning? How would you even know where to start there? Yeah, so as far as the environment itself, I feel like a part of what makes the peace and the rhythm and the flow is all of these pieces around the baby working together. And part of it is the physical environment, but as an adult, we are part of their environment. The interactions we have, all of these things matter. And again, it sounds really intense, but just small things like taking a second to just kind of see what is happening in this moment. Because babies don't talk, we kind of have to learn about their rhythms and we have to learn about the various cries. You know, as young babies, they have distinct cries. So we can get to know them in that way to kind of meet their needs. And then outside of that, we're able to kind of see what baby needs based off of that. So for example, when I am looking at meeting a baby's needs, if all of their needs are met, then we'll look to see if the, an environment change helps. I know for my son, always going outside is really, really helpful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, as far as just kind of getting to know your baby, it's just, I would start with meeting needs. And then outside of that, as far as what adds to the flow of the environment, it's setting up the space. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with you guys, I am totally doing Montessori on a budget. So I've thrifted things, I've collected things, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. That's what I think our listeners want to hear. You could spend all the money in the world or you can get it off of Facebook Marketplace or you could have nothing yeah. and just let your baby look at the sun coming through the window and it's all dependent on you truly understanding them. Yeah. So I love that you're doing that. I think it's Thank great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, what's incredible about how babies learn in general is again, kind of like I just mentioned earlier, the way that they learn means that everything is a learning opportunity. And one thing that I like to talk about is how less is more when it comes to even just basic development outside of Montessori, less is more. So when you think about how a baby, you know, learns to concentrate, if you have a baby who is absorbing literally everything around them and they're surrounded by a whole bunch of toys and colorful things and, you know, it's hard for them to pinpoint on, you know, like a monastery material that you put right in front of them. Whereas if 
you have just a couple things. So you kind of scale back, you have a couple things that you maybe rotate in and out, kind of spark that interest. They have more of an opportunity to hone in on one or two things that interest them. And then they can drive themselves to those things. And you could put things in a basket for them to explore. And that's a Montessori inspired material. I thrifted all my baskets. I love going to Goodwill to to get my baskets. They have the best baskets. And you can get a little basket. You could find little household things that you have, safe household things, you know, like their brush, their comb, your brush, if it's safe, you know. I love that. Brushes, hair brushes, they're bristles. You can get all kinds of different bristle feelings on brushes. Theirs are probably like the super soft kind and yours might be like a little bit more knobbly. And like Mm -hmm. that's such a cool sensory experience that costs nothing. You already have those things. Literally. And it's such good language, you know. Yeah. When they get older, they'll pull it. They'll put their hair through it. Right. And they'll actually practice that type of skill. Yeah. It'll be a practical life thing. It's just, it's, that's really cool because I think a lot of times, like Megan said, those top hot products have flashing lights, some kind of music, and they like vibrate all at the same time. Right. So this is the baby toy that is coming at three of your five senses and Mm -hmm. just like assaulting them. And for a baby, that's an awful lot. Sometimes you get a sensory overload with those toys. Absolutely. So I think that's why it's really helpful to hear that you can successfully be implementing the Montessori philosophy just by paring down what you're stimulating in that moment and keeping it really, really simple, which could include things you already own. I love that. Yeah. A lot of it can be things that you already own. I like to get my son involved in the things that I'm doing as developmentally appropriate, of course. But you know, I was um, prepping what I was going to make for dinner the other day and I got out a bag of frozen peas. And I let him hold it. I let him explore it, you know. (laughs) So, And I was talking about it. And then that eventually will transition into if he's at his learning tower, he can scoop out a cup of the peas and put it in the bowl. And you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just it starts here with these simple things that are incredible learning opportunities and baby steps to their involvement in their environment. Yeah, I love it. You do have to put on your baby lenses, though, and stop seeing it as a bag of peas. See it as this, it's Mm -hmm. crunchy, it's cold, it's Mm -hmm. knobbly, you can feel the peas rolling around each other in the bag. I mean, if you put on the way the baby sees the world with all of those neurons firing, every little thing is a thousand times more exciting. I think we forget that. It's like you said, Laura, like you have to put that hat on and and really shift the way you're thinking. I think every parent can relate to, oh, I got them this toy and all they want to do is play with the remote. Or the box, the empty box that came in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So my son today, what he played with instead of all of his beautiful Montessori wooden materials that he has in his space, he played with a spoon and a bowl. And it's because they are drawn to these real life things. And so... It doesn't have to be complicated because they want to be a part of our world. And what I think is so interesting is that when they get older, all of a sudden they're like 12 and we're like, you have to do chores. You have to do all these things around the house. And it's like, well, for the last 12 years, you've been telling me that's not for you, you know? And so starting from the beginning really tells them like, you're a part of this family. This stuff is for you and you're a part of this community and we value your participation just with a little bag of peas like that says something to them 
that they'll be able to build on, like you said, as they get older. So you're a contributing part of this society. Mm-hmm, you're a absolutely. valued member. And there's an expectation that you're going to yeah. contribute and participate. Instead of don't touch this. And then when they're 12, they're like, he never wants to cook. He never mm-hmm. wants to be yeah. involved with family time. I don't know why he <laughs> yeah. won't clean up after himself, after I shoot him out of the kitchen every single time he made a mess. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Sorry. I derailed this big time there. But um, if we go back to what we were going to ask you about next, it is kind of what we were just covering, which is that we're really excited that you have recently welcomed your own first baby. Thank you. How are things with your new little one? And what else do you want to share about creating an environment for your own child. Yeah. So to just kind of, I guess, touch on on the environment piece, I'm just keeping things super minimal. You know, we live currently in a one-bedroom apartment. So I have my son on a floor bed next to our bed and I've made sure everything's super safe. But I have his movement and work area in our living room. And then I made our bedroom like a, a zen space, a very calm, you know, we have a, his book area and, and that kind of thing. But yeah, I'm keeping things super minimal. But now things are, we're getting into a good rhythm. I'm excited about it. You know, um, it took us a minute to get here, which, you know, I'll talk about in a second, but I am now in a, a bit of a flow and things are continuing to evolve and taking that go with the flow mentality. And <laughs> um, Things are good now. So my son did end up coming a month early and I'm going to talk a little bit about our birth experience just because it definitely transitions into postpartum and it shapes your whole experience. Like that's how it starts. Yeah. 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 Um, no, and I'm happy to talk about it also because, you know, I feel like today a lot more people are being open with their experiences and I feel like it creates a sense of community. And especially as a new mom, there's this fierce feeling of isolation, you know? Mm, Yeah. It's you and your baby and, you know, your partner's there, you know, and you're in this new role. And I mean, even from your partner, it can feel isolating. Even that person that's sleeping next to you, they aren't experiencing. You can tell them and like they're watching it, but you do, you're going through it really alone. And it, it does feel really isolating no matter how many people out there are saying that they've done it too. Mm. In that moment when you're laying there at night and you're nursing every 10 minutes and you're partner is asleep. It's it's a lonely feeling and your body is broken and you're you know sleep deprived and yeah. Yeah, I think it's the perfect word to use to describe it. It's a really isolating experience. Well, and let's not discredit the fact that everyone on this call experienced motherhood for the first time in a fresh global pandemic or barely post pandemic yeah. world. So we don't have any more or didn't have access to the community aspect of like people kind of show up and they take care of each other and there's a whole village and nope not this time not right now so yeah it's it's been an experience all right for sure you know it's I'm just grateful you know like your show it's incredible that you guys are able to you know share so people feel less isolated and I think that's part of it is just talking about these things so so yeah so our birth experience Definitely had some trauma moments that I was so grateful for my Montessori preparation prior and my exposure to the baby world was really helpful in just getting through that time. Um, But it definitely affected my postpartum experience. So I am so grateful to have had a pretty seamless pregnancy up until my 36th week. So I was 36 and 0. And at that point, everything just kind of 
took a 180 and he needed to come out. And I had gone to my 36th week appointment and all of a sudden I had low fluid. I had high blood pressure, which we later found out was uh, preeclampsia. He was measuring small all of a sudden, which I had just gone in. So it was so weird. And then they put me on a non-stress test and apparently I was contracting every six minutes, which also was so weird because I genuinely did not feel anything. And this is all like in one appointment. Yeah. That's in one crazy. appointment. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, it was it was wild. And I do have a high tolerance for pain, but it was just so strange for her to say like, you know, you're not, you don't feel anything. And I was just kind of like, No, you know, and so, you know, at that point and during the birth process, all I wanted was for him to be healthy. And while trying to get him out, the doctors initially tried to induce labor with various medications and he did not like it. So they, I remember the nurses would come in and just kind of let me know that, you know, he was dipping and so they would take me off. And then they wanted to let my natural contractions just kind of see how those were. And he also ended up starting to dip with those as well. And so mm. eventually they did take me in for a C-section and they got him out. And I remember just hearing his cry and sobbing out a huge sigh of relief, you know, mm. and, yeah. you know, you guys know getting to meet your baby is just like the purest moment. And I was just so thankful in that moment. But while he was born mostly healthy, he was born super hypoglycemic. So he had low blood sugar and they started treatment for that while trying to keep him with me. I I wanted to keep him with me as long as I possibly could without affecting his health, of course. That was number one. So we could bond and, you know, but eventually they did have to take him to the NICU for more support. And so he was there for eight days. And while some other things happened, he had to have a central line through his umbilical cord to his heart. So that was just really scary handling him and all of that. And so one, I'm just so grateful for our family and our friends and the doctors and nurses who helped us, my baby and me, I was, you know, post C-section and then my husband was a rock star during that time. And, and the reason I share this is because it absolutely affected how I operated when I got home. I for sure had postpartum anxiety, especially in relation to if I was feeding him on time, if his blood sugar was okay. You know, they don't send you home unless your baby's stable. But I remember jumping up out of my sleep and just kind of being like, what time is it? You know, like how long has it been? You know? Yeah. We go through this like marathon. I mean, birth is already this really hard and scary thing that you've never done before. And it seems like nothing when, you know, the nurse comes and says, oh, he's dipping. Let's change your medication. Even those tiny little messages that might not seem like much to anyone else, they're basically saying your baby's not okay. And to keep hearing that and have that be from 36 weeks on, that that's your whole experience is that he might not be okay. Mm. That does change the way that you approach postpartum and then you have all of these hormones that are going crazy and you're trying to keep them safe and you're not healed yet and you've gone through, you're exhausted. Like it's major abdominal surgery. And then you're in the NICU for eight days, which that is a traumatizing experience in itself. It's not the way that we want to bond with our babies. And so the whole NICU stay and the C-section, it seems like it's really normal. It happens to a lot of people, which it is common, but it's it's kind of brushed off. But it's like this really traumatic experience. It's traumatic. Mm-hmm. My heart goes out to you. I had postpartum anxiety pretty good. Like I could not hand my baby off to someone else and go to sleep because mm-hmm. I would lay in my bed imagining that they dropped her or fell asleep with her and mm-hmm. accidentally suffocated her. Like I had this anxiety. Yeah. 
without any of the rest of that trauma in in getting her here. So I can only imagine, like I just, I sympathize for sure. And it definitely shapes how loose and flowy and fun of an environment you can set up because your brain's just not in the right place. You're just not in the right place. Absolutely. I think it's helpful to hear this from a lot of parents because I do think in the Montessori community, sometimes we put up this front of like, look at how beautiful and perfect this Montessori home or this Montessori school is. And a lot of parents were like, well, you know, I didn't give birth in a field surrounded by flowers (laughs) where my baby came out carried in a basket to, I don't know, like (laughs) as the sun shined down and then put them into this big, beautiful house with the perfect, you know, mobile and, and the mother immediately is showered and beautiful again. Like a lot of people feel like that wasn't my experience. So this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. So you said it shaped your experience. How do you feel like you've been able to connect with this philosophy that you love, that you've been able to kind of center yourself around what you've learned and how you've prepared yourself yeah. for motherhood? You know, I do just quickly want to say also in relation to I initially when I was in the process, I was telling myself that so many women have done this and I can do it too. And then I remember afterward just being like, okay, but you need to let yourself feel for a second. You know, like, yeah, you know, you experienced this. It's okay that you were scared. It's okay. Cause I was also like, everything that I'm giving off to my baby, you know, I was just trying to stay put together in that moment. And I remember one night, my husband and I were taking 12 hour shifts in the NICU while he was there. And I remember one night going home and just being like, okay now is the time where I'm going to let myself feel. (laughs) And I did, you know, and it was like partially the hormones. I was laying in bed, like shaking, you know, like sweating and all of it. But just for everyone, whatever your birth experience was, I would just suggest to like give yourself the grace to experience all of it. And we're all here. (laughs) Yeah. We're all here and in this together. But yeah, as far as how it affected afterward, my Montessori and child development experience definitely helped me prepare because if there's anything that I know, it's that every child is so different. Every person is so different. Everyone's going to experience it differently because of the uniqueness of the human. And so I went into the entire experience from the moment I got pregnant with the mentality that our journey would be uniquely ours. And so whatever was going to happen was our story and my son's story. And it was going to be beautifully that. And so I just put trust into that. And so when I got home, I let all the expectations go that I had for myself as far as setting up the space. And because he came a month early, I I literally had not even built my bassinet. Like I remember calling my dad being like, hey, can you please build my bassinet? And when I got home, the main thing I did was bond. You know, I held him. I talked to him. I sang to him. I would offer, you know, as much language as I possibly could. Also to help us transition, just because I was speaking to him all of my pregnancy and my belly and I was singing to him every day. So I would sing those songs too. But essentially, I just gave both of us the space and the grace to just kind of be and heal and settle and experience what both of our new worlds now was. 
And I, I do remember, you know, in my new postpartum period and honestly still <laughs> getting so excited when I would add another thing for myself, you know, another typical thing. So I remember the first time I made myself a cup of coffee. It was like a week and a half after we got home. And I was so proud of myself. I was like, I did this. I did this. Yes. I am back to making myself coffee, you know, like, good job, Bianca. You did it, you know? (laughs) You're back, girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Or like when I took a shower, when I brushed my teeth before too, I was just so excited. Those are big, big wins though, for real. Yeah. I was proud of myself for showering today. I was like, yes. (laughs) Yeah. Self-care queen. (laughs) No, seriously. That's why I said I still kind of feel like those things. Like when I take a second to even stretch, you know, something that I would do before on the daily. And now it's just like, all right, okay. You know, we're getting the hang of it. (laughs) Yeah. We're doing it. (laughs) We're doing this mother thing. Um, So I feel like, you know, I'm at where I'm at now because of all those tiny steps I took. And I feel like part of why I'm feeling a lot more peaceful and settled is because I would give myself that pat on the back, you know, like, all right, it's okay. We're going to just give ourselves time to figure this out and add these normal things back in slowly and they've added up together and now I feel good. And I feel like just mothers are so, so, so incredible and they can do anything. <laughs> That's how I feel. Amen. I agree. Amen, sister. <laughs> Moms are the best. And you know what? I'll be fair. There's a lot of really bomb dads out there too. So absolutely. Love to all the parents. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Speaking of parents, actually, so as an infant development and Montessori consultant, what do you offer other families out there? Yeah. So um, essentially because of my background in both Montessori and child development, I help parents and caregivers and educators and schools support baby development through a Montessori lens. And What's incredible is that the Montessori approach really supports how babies grow. So I remember I got my Montessori training before I finished my bachelor's degree in development. And so I remember kind of taking that information and going into each lecture and being just astounded at how beautifully everything integrated. I'm really grateful for the timeline that I had because at the time I was also leading my class. I had my NEDO. I was doing the multitask, working seven to four, going to night school, you know, (laughs) the whole thing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I would go in the next day and just be like, oh my gosh, you know, and pulling from this theorist and Montessori. And so I, I really started kind of fusing the two, especially when I would work with parents and with other teachers and, and I would just basically support one another. Like I would support the pedagogy with what I was learning in development. And so I started doing that with the parents in my classroom, for example, when they would ask, you know, how they could do something at home or, you know, when we would talk about, you know, various things going on with their child or, and even the educators and caregivers that I work with. And they really took to that and it seemed to to work super well. And so I just kind of kept teaching that way. <laughs> and, you know, of course I use Montessori's work as my foundation for everything, but I also just fiercely love learning about baby development. I still, you know, love learning about it. And so I pull from resources and resources and, you know, other theorists in the baby development world. And so you're telling us you're a baby genius and now you have the experience of a new parent. So pretty much unstoppable. Uh, Go find her, guys. No, I just like fiercely love learning about the way that babies learn and their brains are just 
limitless, you know? And so I love, I love doing that. I love supporting baby development through a Montessori lens. And so now I do this Well, I was doing this through one-on-one client work prior to giving birth, but I do it on my blog and I host my Montessori Babies podcast. And I also teach an online course called the Montessori Babies course, which was an offshoot of the podcast. And I'm just really thankful to have this really wonderful community of parents and caregivers and educators from all around the world who are on their unique monastery journeys with their babies. You know, every experience is so different and I'm so honored to be even a small part of theirs. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you sound very busy and we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and just being so vulnerable and honest. So yeah, really appreciate that. So where can our listeners go to find you and your content and maybe a little sneak peek at that cute baby? (laughs) Um, Yeah. So baby sneak peek would be on Instagram. (laughs) You can find me at baby tour guide. That's my handle. And also Facebook. I'm not as active on there to be honest, but I'm there. And I also have the Monastery Babies podcast, which you could find anywhere you listen to podcasts, the Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, wherever. (laughs) And then also I have a website, babytourguide.com. And then I also just love connecting with everyone. So, you know, you can always shoot me an email to Bianca at babytourguide.com. So, yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being here. Come back anytime. Thank you guys for having me. I'm so honored to have been on your show and love what you guys are doing. So thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Feelings mutual. Right back at (laughs) you. It is. All right. Well, she was delightful and it is time. Delight. Delightful. Let's finish out the show with our favorite segment, Confessions from the Wild. What do you have this week? So I, again, was having a really hard time. I don't know why. Thinking of a confession and Just this afternoon, I was making some coffee and I was putting some creamer in my coffee and I had this flashback. So this isn't like a real confession. It's just, (laughs) I guess it is about just kind of how disgusting I am. You know it's good when there's a disclaimer that like immediately needs to happen before you get to the juiciest part of the confession. Like your brain stops you and it's like, wait, 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 make sure. I always build it up so much just to disappoint. But I was thinking about how I used to use creamer when I was a child. So I just wanted to give a list of disgusting things I would eat as a kid. Because you know, like when you're a kid, you just eat gross stuff. And I thought about it and I was like, ew. So I used to take vanilla coffee mate. I know we have like a few international listeners. So if you don't have this, it's just disgusting (laughs) sugar milk. (laughs) thick sugary milk um it's just like a really anyway it's it's a coffee creamer and i used to pour it into uh you know that instant oatmeal that was also full of sugar that had like the fruit (laughs) the cream fruit i know i'm supposed to be upset with you right now but sadly the disgusting child in me is immediately like "Ooh, that doesn't sound like a bad idea so what i would do is i would take the strawberry It was like strawberries and cream, oatmeal, instant oatmeal. And instead of cooking it, (laughs) instead of cooking it with water or milk, I would cook it with (laughs) vanilla coffee mate creamer. (laughs) (laughs) That is the 
creamiest strawberries and cream oatmeal <laughs> there has so ever gross, been. Which made me think about other things that I used to eat that are disgusting. And also, like, what were my parents buying that this was in my house? Who was supervising your breakfast <laughs> Nobody was <choices>. supervising. <laughs> um, so I also used to, when I was done with the pickles, I'm a big pickle fan. I love pickles. Same. I used to drink the pickle juice out of the jar. And not just that, but I would add a scoop of sugar. Okay. Swirl it up. And you lost me. <laughs> <laughs> and drink it. It makes me sick just thinking about it. That's disgusting. And then something else I used to do, which I still think is kind of delicious. I haven't had it since I was a child. Don't come at me, okay, <laughs> everybody, but spam. Oh, I used okay. to love spam, so I would cut it up and I would heat it on a pan so it was yep. nice and crispy and put it on toast. And tell me that's not the most delicious thing you've ever had. I can't tell you that. <laughs> the reason I can't tell you that is because I've not had it. What? But – Hold on. I don't like the way that I said that. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to keep the what? <laughs> okay. I haven't had it, but this might be a worse confession. I always wanted it. I've seen ads where it's like cooked up in a pan like that and it looks mm -hmm. like it's a little crispy. Yeah. Greasy little like nugget bacon. of delight. Yeah. It's I mean, it's who knows what it is. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I think oh, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna eat some spam. Okay. And we'll watch Hocus Pocus. And then we'll watch Rocky Horror Picture Show. Well, we already decided that. I don't think we could sit through two whole movies. Right. Hocus Pocus is shorter. We'll go with that one. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, that's my confession is that I eat disgusting stuff and I'm a disgusting human person. Okay. Piece well, of garbage. I would <laughs> love to like point and laugh at you, but unfortunately I was really excited about every single one of the terrible things You're you just at home? described. Try, try it out. Try yourself some creamy oatmeal some sugar pickle juice or some spam on toast this might be a good time to insert a little disclaimer that if you develop type 2 diabetes from anything <laughs> that megan is telling you to eat right now it is not our fault right. and also I <laughs> a miracle that megan herself has not developed some sort of autoimmune problem we're just getting loopy it's getting late we're getting i loopy. know it is it's way too late it's 9 p.m we are mothers <laughs> we cannot be handling this right now remember when you used to go to things that started like one to two more hours from now no i don't remember that me neither me neither at all pre-minivan me okay i shared earlier that i recently celebrated my nine year wedding anniversary and if anybody else out there has been with their significant other at least this long you might be able to relate Megan, you already shot me down and let me know that I'm completely alone in this world when I tried to run this one by you. <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about, so let me let me hear it. Pre-shave. Do you remember me asking you about this? No. Okay. I asked you in a moment of complete vulnerability <laughs> if I'm the only one, if anyone else out there ever sometimes maybe – doesn't like shave as often as they should <laughs> and then by the time you get to a point in your life where like it's time to shave you really have to shave that you have to do maybe like I don't know hypothetically speaking like a little <laughs> bit of like a pre-shave <laughs> where you take like your husband's electric 
beard trimmer deal and just zip, zip, zip. Because you know those razors, they can only hold so much. And I just stared at you like, what? (laughs) She stared at me blankly and coldly and informed me that no one in her family grows body hair. (laughs) And she will never know that pain. And I... That is a gross over-exaggeration <laughs> of that conversation. No, I'm pretty that's what sure I remember. That's what, what I, I remember. said was, you must be Italian. <laughs> that I think you're right. I think your first words out of your mouth were, that's the Italian in you, which 100% correct. But you also have genetic makeups that would suggest that you could potentially be on the uh, fuzzier side, but but apparently you don't. You just lucked out. You got like a nice little. You hit a lottery there. No, like no one in my family on my dad's side of the family, like just don't. I do. I have more hair than my father does, which is crazy. Not enough that you will ever have to do appreciate. Apparently, because again, yeah. I got a very cold blank stare. So I looked at you in not a very. That was you thinking you were being hashtag relatable, <laughs> and you were just met with. A blank stare. <laughs> we were like, ew, basically. So what I wanted to know is I – there's got to be one listener out there that – has to do a pre-shave. That has been in that situation at least once before. And again, if you are a parent or someone who's been with your significant other for long enough that you have dropped the facade of having to just keep everything bikini ready at all hours of the day and night, ain't nobody got time or energy for that in my house. So if you know how I feel, just maybe let me know that I'm not alone because my good friend Megan over here. And then also, but you also then went so far as to say okay. that Rachel <laughs> probably also doesn't relate because she's super blonde and just like <laughs> probably doesn't even like grow leg hair. So I like that this has become like such a moment for you. And I don't even remember this conversation. <laughs> I just walked by with like, yeah, no, I don't have anybody here. <laughs> I'm a hairless gerbil and also nobody else will ever relate to you. I checked with our friends without you knowing, like we pre-talked about this and like nobody else has this problem. So, so obviously this entire confession is fictional. <laughs> That she's a liar. Un- unfortunately, a large portion of that confession is is the truth. I do have to do a pre-shave before <laughs> I can wear shorts, skirts, and tank tops in public. Okay. Rachel, we miss you. <laughs> Rachel, come back. <laughs> she would just be like on mute right now, holding the baby and just shaking her head. Wrap it up, guys. Wrap yeah, it up. Pretty much. All right. Actually, with that being said. I'm going to go ahead and do the conclusion. Do you want to do it? I I don't even know why I'm offering it to you. Do you want to have fun tonight? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Actually, we've been here for long enough, so I'm just going to do it. Thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us, subscribe, review, and rate. We are available on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. And like where else? We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts iHeartRadio. Google's podcasts, iHeartRadio. Is that all of them? I think so. Okay. Well, whatever you're listening to us on right now, you can find us, okay? We're out there. You can also follow us on Instagram at Montessori Moms in the Wild or email us at Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, stay wild. I have nothing more to say. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs>